You're listening to a 3CR podcast of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Welcome to Unemployed Workers Fight Back. Join your hosts Anne and Kevin the second Friday of every month on The Sewer Show between 5.30 and 6.30pm here on 3CR Community Radio. This is a show where we explore macroeconomic solutions for the unemployed and underemployed. Everyone in our community has value. Hi Anne. Hey Kevin. It's Friday the 13th, Friday the 13th of November. Scary. <laughs> You'd think that Friday the 13th things should be scary, but we've had many good things happen if you're a progressive person. We've had Jacinda Ardern, of course, won the New Zealand election a little while ago. True. And then Anastasia Palaszczuk won the Queensland election. Mm-hmm. And here in Victoria, we seem to have overcome our, our COVID lockdown and we're out and about in the world. Mm-hmm. And of course, Donald Trump lost the election. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or should I say Joe Biden won the election? So... <laughs> This is a bit unusual for us progressives because we've been we've been bashed about for the last number of years. It's it's nice to have a few runs on the board. It, you think the tide's turning, do you? Uh, yeah, I would I wouldn't say that. I just I just say just enjoy these moments while they have them because Well, speaking of the news, I was planning on just ignoring all the news because I'm not sure what's going on with the Reserve Bank there, the RBA. They're doing weird things with the interest rate. Yeah. They've gone down to almost 0%. Well, they effectively have. I was um, having a conversation with our good friend uh, Jengis just recently and asked what's the implication of the Reserve Bank dropping their their target rate to 0.1%. And so I wondered what happened to the floor rate. And it's zero. It's 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 nothing. Mm. Uh, it's weird ass monetary policy, but basically it, <laughs> it it signals the death, the death knolls of monetary policy. Yeah, yeah. As, as I described it, I said it's very hard to keep on whittling away when your whittling stick is reduced <laughs> to a splinter. I mean, <laughs> Let me make a boat out of this splinter. <laughs> uh, yeah. What, what have you got planned for the show this weekend? What are we? What's who are you interviewing? We're going to have a look at what's happening around the job guarantee and how it's getting some influence within the Labor Party, particularly through young Labor. Yeah. So I got to talk to a couple of the young Labor people who've been involved in pushing the job guarantee there. Should we explain to our listener? Our dear listener, who who you and I love dearly. Our fellow traveller. <laughs> I have a terrible memory for names and faces, um, so I've forgotten our listener's name. But I love our listener because uh, <laughs> if we didn't have a listener, then it'd just be you and me talking to each other. But we should explain to uh, our listener what the job guarantee is. So the job guarantee, how would you describe the job guarantee program, Anne? An unconditional offer of a job to anyone who wants it at the federal minimum wage yeah, with no eligibility requirements, so it's universal. Paid for? Paid for by the federal government. Paid for by the government. Job supplied locally, sort of, uh, but paid for federally. Mm-hmm. It's where the government takes on responsibility uh, for providing full employment for its residents as opposed to the current system that we have, which is a stockpile of, of unemployment to try and keep wages down. It's an, an alternative program. So it's the beautiful flower that blooms out of the ground of the macroeconomics that says that the government can afford to purchase anything that's available for sale in Australian dollars. And so if someone's unemployed, that means their labour is available for sale and they don't need to be unemployed. And many unemployed activists look at it from its job creation point of view but we can also look at it from its macroeconomic point of view as being an anti-inflationary mechanism as well. And I did get to discuss some of that with our young Labor people because I was really curious as to how they view the job guarantee. 
And that's because there are a couple of the details around the job guarantee that are still being hashed out in progressive circles and uh, not everyone's quite on the same page. So it's interesting, Kevin, we get to be a bit controversial and talk about some of the differences of opinion. Well, that's excellent. I think the job guarantee is very worthy of, of discussion and the more we can talk about it, the better because we'd like the job guarantee to become a, a common topic of conversation. This is Bill Mitchell. You're listening to my favourite Melbourne radio station 3CR with Anne and Kev, Unemployed Workers Fight Back Program. Great program. Great guests. <laughs> Today I'm speaking with Benjamin Dudman, who is the President of Tasmanian Young Labor. Welcome to Unemployed Workers Fight Back, Benjamin. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. So, of course, the reason that I was so excited to have a bit of a conversation with you was the news that Tasmania has made history as far as I'm concerned. It is leading the way, getting a job guarantee into the national conversation. And in fact, what happened, the Tasmanian Parliament committed to scoping a job guarantee. The amazing job guarantee. Before we go and have a look at what all that was about, would you just mind telling me a little bit about yourself, about how you got involved with Young Labor and, and what you get up to as the president? Uh, so I joined the Labor Party in 2016, just after the federal election then. Obviously, I was a little bit disappointed with the results and it motivated me to join the party and get more involved. Uh, I've been the president of Young Labor since 2019. So just over a year now in that position. Right. Young Labor is the youth wing of our party. We really drive for progressive politics and for uh, a party that values young people. So it sounds like you advocate for yourselves within the Labor Party then. We're advocating for ourselves. We're advocating for young Tasmanians. Uh, and we're just making sure that issues that, you know, typically only young Tasmanians face especially uh, employment issues, as we're talking about today, uh, we're making sure that that stays a current topic and it moves throughout the party and then into the national dialogue and ensures that our governments are supporting us. So what is your definition of young? I'm looking at my grey hairs here. <laughs> no, that's okay. Look, under the Labor Party rules, any person between the age of 14 and 26 can be a member of Young Labor. I'm 22 at the moment, so I'm halfway in between those ages, uh, and we have a diverse range of young people in our party that are as young as 14, uh, engaging in politics and having their say in the future. If we have a look at this motion that happened, it was rather a close call. We had the Liberal Speaker Sue Hickey crossing the floor to vote alongside the ALP and the Greens and an Independent. It was quite an interesting day in the Parliament. So after the 2018 Tasmanian state election, the Liberals held a one-seat majority and uh, they were set to govern in that majority until the current Speaker, Sue Hickey, who was one of the new Liberal recruits, essentially crossed the floor, voted against the nomination for Speaker and she was elevated to the Speakership on her vote uh, with support of the Labor Party and the Greens Party. Since then... She's been a bit of a rogue and she has been voting for and against government policy uh, as she sees fit. 
And so things have been interesting in Tasmania since then. Mm -hmm. Then in 2019, the Labor shadow treasurer, Scott Bacon, resigned from Parliament and Madeleine Ogilvie, who was a former Labor member, was re-elected on account back. She then refused to rejoin our party and instead decided to sit as an independent member and has consistently voted and supported the government throughout her time back in the parliament. So suddenly Sue Hickey lost that power in the parliament and we found that government policy was going through a lot easier because they had the support of Madeleine Ogilvie. Right. But that all changed on the 22nd of September when the notice of motion was brought forward uh, in relation to investigating a jobs guarantee. And I was made aware of it before the fact and spoke to our Labor colleagues in Parliament about it. And we decided as a party that we would absolutely support it. It wasn't a question. We're keeping people in jobs. Uh, Obviously, the Greens uh, were supporting the motion. They were bringing it forward. Mm -hmm. The government announced immediately that they would not be supporting the motion. They said that they didn't feel there was a need to investigate a jobs guarantee in Tasmania and said that they were focused on jobs in other ways. Mm-hmm. And then Madeleine Ogilvie came forward and I'll be honest, I was expecting her to uh, support the government and she said she really liked the motion and she supported it. So it came down to a 12-12 split and Sue Hickey had the casting vote and with that she said that the motion was not contentious, it was about investigating a job guarantee which could improve employment in Tasmania and so she voted for it. What's really significant about this vote, since Madeleine Ogilvie came back in and the new Premier Peter Gutwin has been in power, he hasn't lost any votes. This is the first time Peter Gutwin has lost a vote on the floor of Parliament and I am so happy that it's a vote about a job guarantee. What was the look on his face when that happened? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Peter is the type of man who has a poker face, Uh, but this was really one they deserve to lose because it's, it's a motion that was just about investigating a job guarantee. Mm-hmm. Were you on the edge of your seat as all that was happening? I felt like I knew the way it was going to go down and it wasn't the way I was anticipating. So I was um, <laughs> sitting with a friend and I'd been speaking to young Labor members nationally about the vote and you know how important the motion was throughout the day. And then I went home with a friend and watched it on the webcast. Mm-hmm. Madeline did stand up and said she was really uh, supportive of the motion and then was cut off due to time. And I thought, geez, that's that's good to hear. Does that mean she'll vote for it? And I, yeah, was quite surprised when that happened. And then it was just a moment of tension while they were ringing the bells, doing the division. And then Sue Hickey gave her a casting vote and I was overjoyed, like I said, surprised, but very, very pleasantly surprised. Wonderful. And even to hear that you and your buddies are sitting there watching parliamentary motions. I mean, that's something you do for fun. That's incredible to me. Yeah, maybe I shouldn't have admitted that. Um, <laughs> that's what I do, sit and watch parliament all day. It's great fun. <laughs> well, I've totally turned into an unemployment nerd these days, so I understand the enthusiasm. So my understanding of what a job guarantee is, it's an unconditional job offer add a socially inclusive minimum wage to anyone who's willing to work. We know that having a job guarantee and having full employment policies is the best way out of an economic crisis such as a global pandemic. Um, I'm a strong advocate for ensuring that it's a voluntary system and that is well understood within our party. It has to be a voluntary system if it is to offer people dignity and the service that they deserve. 
What I did read in the media was that the motion was a commitment to scoping a job guarantee. I had never heard of this scoping business. Could you describe for us what scoping is and and what this means in terms of potential implementation? The motion hasn't been referred to a committee yet. At this stage, each party is sort of going their own way uh, and coming up with ideas of how something like this could be brought forward. And we'll see what the parliamentary process is into the future. Mm -hmm. It doesn't really bind the government too strongly. Like they're under a technical obligation to investigate uh, how a jobs guarantee program could be adopted in Tasmania to strengthen our COVID recovery. The investigation will be interesting. It'll be interesting to see what the government does with this motion. From Labor's position, we're going to keep fighting for this uh, and ensuring that we're developing good ideas for how this can be implemented on a state level which will hopefully pave the way for a return of a national job guarantee and full employment. So investigating how that could happen in Tasmania, we don't have the ability as a state uh, to implement a full jobs guarantee in the same way that a federal government would, but there is ways that we can adopt notions of a job guarantee into our state system so that we've got employment hubs where people looking for a job and local businesses are connected with each other in the same way that the federal system does that with a job guarantee. So there are elements there that we can uh, adopt on a state level. Of course, we need federal assistance to implement a full uh, job guarantee. So a full implementation and a fully funded job guarantee in the economic framework, it's been linked to the currency issuing capacity of a federal government. So it would be best to happen at a federal level. So why do this at a state level? All politics is local. By by starting in Tasmania, by starting local, we are getting people thinking about it. We're ensuring that it's on the minds of every Tasmanian and then we can continue the campaign uh, nationally. And we've seen that right through Young Labor. Each Young Labor state is slowly supporting the job guarantee and that is helping us to build a bigger picture and then take it to the next level, which is our, our national platform and the National Labor Party. Right. Every person in Australia and every level of government should be talking about this because it is such a life-changing and such an important policy for the Australian people. Um, So we'll start the campaign local and we'll build from there and, in my opinion, that's the best way forward. Do tell me what you think is so significant about a job guarantee and about moving back to full employment. Because a job is the keystone uh, for a good and successful life. A job ensures that you have dignity, that you have the ability to have a place to call your own, uh, to engage in society and your community, and it ensures that people don't uh, suffer long-term unemployment because we know that after you know three months of being unemployed, people then find themselves beginning to be stuck in that system of long-term unemployment. And so we need the government to support people and avoid this um, entrenched level of poverty. A job does all that. The sub-branch Young Labor for Full Employment, a jobs guarantee for all, what we're really advocating for is full employment with an unemployment rate of less than 3% because we know that we can't remove unemployment altogether, although history shows us we've gotten pretty close in the past. What is the unemployment situation in Tasmania? It's like pretty grim across the whole nation and I can only imagine it is not looking very good in Tasmania at all. Uh, before the coronavirus pandemic, unemployment in Tasmania was fairly high, especially for young people where 9% of young Tasmanians found themselves underemployed or unemployed and unable to find jobs. 
obviously since the pandemic, things have gotten much, much worse. You hear about one position being available in the local shop and you have up to 2,000 people applying for it. And we've had government ministers in Tasmania say that people just need to apply for jobs and get on with it. They've been promoting fruit picking as well (sighs) because usually that's a tourist job uh, and seasonal worker job. And even then, I've spoken to people in Young Labor who have applied for fruit picking jobs and they haven't been able to get those jobs either. Oh, my gosh, I want to shout that one to the rooftops because I am so sick of the mainstream, no, I won't call it the mainstream media. I'm trying to train myself to call it the dominant media because it's not mainstream thinking at all. So I'm so sick of the dominant media lashing out at young people and saying they don't want to go and pick this fruit that apparently um, is in need of picking at the moment. Young Tasmanians aren't lazy. You just can't find a job if a job doesn't exist. And it's very disappointing when the best our government can do is criticise us they're not applying for jobs that don't exist. I just really hope that our government will take the right approach and have a good look at the best ways to go forward with it. Mm. What can you tell me about where the next hotspot might be for support for a job guarantee? We've still got the Young Labor branches in Western Australia, Queensland, the ACT and New South Wales to support the motion uh, that we have moved uh, and we're certainly expecting them to do so. We've also been discussing uh, within the federal parliamentary team this motion. We've had, you know, conversations with Brendan O'Connor, Tanya Plibersek. Uh, I believe Jim Chalmers has been spoken to as a shadow treasurer and Andrew Lee has had some discussion as the shadow finance minister. Uh, so we're really engaging with our federal members and making sure that our voices are heard. Mm. Uh, I suppose the next step is that we continue to get grassroots support for a jobs guarantee. Uh, And I just do have to say the founding members of the Young Labor for Full Employment came from Victoria, uh, the ACT, uh, New South Wales, right across Australia, and they've really led the charge here and done an amazing job. You know, when we get there eventually, and I'm very optimistic that we will get there, um, this is going to be an amazing policy. It's going to be an amazing job guarantee, and we're really going to change the face of Australia for the better. So while we're talking about the influence that can happen from the ground up, We are a Melbourne show, but would you like to give Young Labor Tasmania a plug and let people know how they could get involved? Absolutely. And look, I'll even give Young Labor Victoria a plug. I highly recommend, and you know, I say it to anyone, regardless of their actual political views, you need to be involved in politics and you need to be interested in politics because everyone around you is, your boss is, your landlord is, your teachers are, and they are because politics and you know, whoever's in government changes your life either for, you know, better or worse. I grew up in, you know, a working class family and you worked out pretty early on uh, when you had an interest in politics that there was one party that was your voice and that was looking after you uh, and there was another party that really couldn't give a toss and was more interested in sticking up for their big business mates and that's why I joined the Labor Party. Mm-hmm. If you'd like to join the party, just go to taslabor.com.au or the Victorian Uh, Labor Party website and join up that way. You'll get in touch with either me or one of the young Labor presidents across the country and we'll go from there and together we can do some amazing things because the future's ours and so we need to be having our say in that future. Ben, talking to you, the future suddenly looks a lot brighter to me. So I thank you for coming on to Unemployed Workers Fight Back. No worries at all. Thank you for having me. I'm James Juniper. I'm an economist 
at the University of Newcastle. And you're listening to Unemployed Workers Fight Back on Radio 3 CR. great pleasure to welcome to Unemployed Workers Fight Back, Savannah Benson, who is with Young Labor in the ACT. Yeah, pleasure to be here. I just wondered, is it a requisite of living in Canberra that a person gets into a bit of politics as well? (laughs) I think so, especially because I guess so many people move here to study politics. Is that what you're doing? Are you studying politics there? I am, yes. Why Labour of all the political parties that you could get involved in? Um, I started volunteering for them when I was 16 back in WA and then I just started getting involved in the party. Labour is, you know, a political party that realistically can and does form government or opposition. And for me, I think I got involved because I want to actually make change, push progressive policy in a few years ago. Some people in Young Labour actually managed to get pill testing in the ACT, which ended up becoming a government trial. And part of that was because of activists within the party pushing for that, getting that passed at conference. So I guess, yeah, one of the, I guess, appeals of getting involved in the Labour Party is like that kind of activism. Um, I got involved in the left faction in the ACT. It really fit with my values, especially of unionism. I guess I'm just also wondering what stirred your interest in politics in the first place because there are many other things to distract a person in life. Um, I was 13 when Tony Abbott became Prime Minister. I paid a lot of attention to the news and I thought, I hate all of his policies. So I guess I'm just going to start paying attention to politics. I actually fell into studying politics a bit in high school because I wanted to study Indonesian and they got rid of the subject. You know, and the other option was to study politics. And then I was like, actually, I really enjoy this. So I'm going to study it in university. (laughs) That's great. I wanted to find out a little bit more about a group called Young Labour for Full Employment, a job guarantee for all. Yeah, I kind of just started off. Um, that a Facebook group was created. Initially, it was to do with creating a renewable jobs guarantee and it kind of morphed into a broader campaign for a job guarantee and full employment um, because we recognise that renewables aren't the only industry where we'll need like a job guarantee where people will need support getting into work. We have a problem across the whole country. I reached out to one of the guys who was one of the main organisers and was like, hey, do you want to like make a Facebook page? We can maybe start actually campaigning with politicians and branches, all that kind of stuff for national conference. And it just kind of really took off from there. I mean, we're a group of um, over 300 people. We've had meetings with, I think, 15 different MPs. We've had forums with MPs. We've got the motion passed at Young Labour branches, at other Labour branches. Yeah, just from me reaching out, um, it really took off from there. Congratulations on that. That's very encouraging to hear. And can you give me a sense of what kind of reception you're getting within the Labour Party on the idea of the job guarantee? People are quite receptive to what we're saying and what we are arguing for. I think a lot of people in the party are more committed to the idea of full employment, which we're still pretty happy with. Already in the draft platform for National Conference, they have got a commitment to full employment, which I think is amazing that they actually have that in there. I think is such um, a good step forward. 
Can you tell me how you yourself came upon the concept of the job guarantee? I kind of came across the topic about, well, I think it was last year when um, we actually passed a job guarantee motion at the ACT Labor Conference. And through that, I got to, I guess, learn a lot more about the concept and talking to people who drafted the motion who were very passionate about like a jobs guarantee type program. So what was it about a job guarantee that attracted you as an issue? I guess one of the motivating things for me is like the COVID pandemic isn't just a health crisis at the moment. It's an economic crisis. We're seeing like one of the highest unemployment rates that we've had for a long time, especially young people. And you have a lot of discussion where people are saying, oh, but you just need, I guess, like higher welfare that's great. It's um, as someone who's on youth allowance and is very much benefiting from the increased rate. That's absolutely fantastic. But the reality is that people want jobs. If you want a job, you should be able to get a job. And that's why we're saying that the government should make sure that people who want to get into employment get into employment, not anything like a um, work for the doll type program, like an actual job that you know, is a living wage that you're not forced into, but that if you want a job, you can get a job, especially given our current jobs crisis and especially young people such as myself. A lot of us bear the um, burden of that. I work in hospitality doing event work, um, so I'm technically employed, but events have stopped for the year. I'm not really getting any more shifts So I'm essentially unemployed, but because I technically have a job, I'm not unemployed. Those figures don't even take into account um, people such as myself. And there's so many people in the same situation. As you discuss the job guarantee with other people, are there common questions that come up that you hear when people are first encountering the job guarantee? A lot of people, um, I guess, don't really understand what it is. I think people do have a lot of questions about whether it would be anything like work for doll kind of program. Like we do get um, a lot of proponents of the job guarantee model that believe in replacing the welfare system with the job guarantee, which is something that I think we've agreed that we don't agree with. Our idea is that you need a strong welfare state alongside a job guarantee so people don't feel forced into wanting to go into the jobs guarantee program. I think the whole principle of it is that it needs to be completely voluntary. You're going in as a choice. And I think if you're going in because it's the only, I guess, source of income you can get, that's not really much of a choice and essentially just a de facto work for the doll program, which is completely not what we want. Hmm. I very much empathise with the concern people would have about anything that's involuntary, just given the horrendous nature of what we have at the moment in the form of the job active system, where to get the payments you've got no choice except to attend these compliance activities. On the other hand, I just want to ask you, if the only welfare payment that a job guarantee would replace would be the unemployment benefit so that people with caring issues or on disability or people who are wanting to do training and study, they would still have income support. But if you were unemployed, you wouldn't have a choice to have an income without working. 
It's voluntary if you want to participate, of course. But if you want unemployment benefits, then there's no choice about whether or not you're participating in the job guarantee program. So this is a sort of narrower definition of what people might call involuntary. And I just wonder if that discussion has played out and how people are reacting to that. Yeah, there's certainly been a lot of discussion within our group about how you'd want a job guarantee policy to actually play out. Um, And I think... Yeah, the main thing is like you shouldn't feel, I don't know, forced into wanting to enter into a jobs program. This is why we're pretty supportive of the idea that you need strong uh, welfare support for the unemployed so people, I guess, have an income to fall back on that is livable and you're not saying, well, I could go on welfare, but I can't really survive on that, so I'll go into the jobs guarantee program. That's definitely not what we want and as someone who's on youth allowance, who's, you know, on that kind of support myself, um, I definitely see the need of maintaining really high rates of that so people don't feel forced into the Jobs Guarantee Program. Mm-hmm. You're listening to Unemployed Workers Fight Back, a show all about the economics and experience of unemployment and underemployment here on 3CR Community Radio. If we think about jobs not as work that gets paid, but if we think of jobs as stuff that needs doing, then there's a lot of stuff that needs doing that isn't being paid for at the moment, obviously. And a lot of that stuff will need to become part of an expansion of the public service. So I guess in the form of aged care work or land regeneration and all those kinds of activities. So because there is so much stuff that needs doing, it's better to have a jobs guarantee that doesn't sit alongside a new start or a job seeker payment. So I think that's the argument for taking away a job seeker payment and saying, look, we're going to support you if you can't work, but if you can work, we really need you working because there's all this stuff to be done. Yeah, there's plenty of different um, ways that you can go about a jobs guarantee. We're not economic policy wonks. We're not associated with any broad economic theory. We just believe in the principle of if you want a job, you should be able to get a job. As much as there is stuff that needs to get done, a jobs guarantee should be there. So if you want a job, you can get a job, not so you're being forced into a job. And I think even with a strong welfare state, um, I think people do want jobs, people do want work, and I think people are still going to be signing up to the program. Um, honestly, as someone who's uh, who's on youth allowance and isn't getting much work in, it isn't fun getting paid to not do much, and I think a lot of people have the same mindset. So I, I do disagree with the idea of getting rid of those payments because I think you shouldn't feel compelled to go into work. To not have that feeling of being forced or compelled, it would need to be designed so that the individual actually negotiates what for them counts as work. Um, And I just wonder if that was enshrined. (laughs) Would Would that, do you think, enable the other payment to go away or do you still want that safety net of somewhere to go? in case those negotiations break down or something? 
I definitely think that there should be that safety net. Um, John Quiggin um, is one of the people who's saying that you need both kind of somewhat of a basic income and a job guarantee alongside each other. I think he kind of has one of the right ideas on this. Okay. So I want to go into this other controversial part of the design details of a job guarantee. And this is the idea of whether or not it's a fixed payment. So like other social security payments, you don't go in and negotiate how much you're getting. Whereas we often think in the workplace, you have more of an ability to negotiate how much you're being paid. And so I have heard a bit of debate around whether the rate of the job guarantee would be up for negotiation. Um, So is there any discussion around that it would be a fixed wage? I've definitely heard those discussions. I think at least my values as a union member, people on a jobs guarantee are workers. All workers should have the ability to unionize and negotiate their wages as they see fit. So that's um, at least my opinion on that. So the job guarantee, at one level, it's obviously a job creation program. And so it's answering that need that you're talking about, which is people can't find work. But the job guarantee, on the other hand, it's also what's known in macroeconomics as an inflation anchor. So the job guarantee is designed to catch people as a safety net when you've got an economic downturn. And one of the reasons you might have an economic downturn, we've, we've seen it with the COVID now, but there are other reasons where the government will deliberately put the brakes on the economy if it's overheating. And what they mean by that usually is inflation, which has its own set of problems. So if the government wants to put the brakes on the economy because they can see that there's too much inflation, what those brakes do is that they reduce the number of jobs in the economy. So people end up being pushed out of work and the job guarantee is there to catch them. And the problem with having a negotiated wage rather than a fixed wage attached to that is that that would itself potentially add to the inflation problem. The idea is that you have a fixed livable wage, but you don't subject it to union-style negotiation because then that would undermine its inflation anchor aspect. So it's like this catch-22 that you end up in. Yeah, no, I, I, I understand the economic logic. However, as someone who's a unionist, believes in union values, it goes against all those values if workers can't negotiate their wages. Um, people should still have the option of unionising and negotiating for higher wages if they want to because otherwise I don't think we see much different to the Liberal Party. (laughs) Um, But no, we are a broad group of people with lots of different opinions on the actual model, which is why we've just been kind of looking at the broad-based just commitment by the Labour Party to explore the job guarantee just as an option. Once that happens, then we can get into a lot more of the actual details of what a jobs guarantee policy should look like. So, yeah. And just on a last note, I'm just wondering if you have any any words for young people who might be feeling a bit disempowered or overwhelmed by how gloomy the future can look when we think of uh, the climate crisis and the state of the economy and all of these changes that are piling on top of one another. Well, frankly, to be honest, um, things suck at the moment, but we can't be complacent. 
change can happen. You just have to be active. If you just sit by, don't do anything, obviously nothing is going to get changed. But if you're active, uh, whether that's through activism, whether that's through political parties, you can make change. Um, because if we all band together and actually work to make change happen, the future isn't completely hopeless. Just do something, even if it's just liking the Facebook page of the Young Labour for Full Employment. Yeah, no, definitely. We have a Facebook page, Young Labour for Full Employment, Job Guarantee for All. So if people want to get involved, feel free to like our page, shoot us a message. We can probably find ways for you to get involved. So, yeah. Oh, well, thank you, Savannah, for all your thoughts about where we're coming from and where we're going in all of this. I really appreciate being able to speak with you. Yeah, no, this has been good. Thank you for having me along. You're listening to 3CR 855 AM on digital and on the internet, www.3cr.org.au. So we just heard from some young people who are doing their darndest to reclaim the Labour Party as the party for the working class. But we also had a nice long conversation with Dr. Victor Quirk. And Victor is a labour market political sociologist and lecturer in social policy at the University of Newcastle. So we'll be hearing more from Victor in upcoming shows. But I reckon Victor's fantastic, uh, Anne. You know, I mean, if you can maintain a clarity of thought and just the upbeat vibe of uh, someone like Victor for your entire life, you're doing well. He's got a good head. Yeah, he does. He's got a, a really good insight on things. So. Uh, Let's have a listen to some of our conversation with Victor Quirk where he begins by describing his past experience working with unemployed people. I was a specialist employment counsellor down in Melbourne for about 10 years and I worked with the very long-term unemployed, people with disabilities, ex-offenders. I think I worked out that I I spent time with at least 12,000 unemployed people and got to know their situations and their stories in that time. And the, the suffering that their poverty and the unemployment causes them. If I could have just said, here's, here's a, a job that you can just walk straight into that's going to pay you the federal minimum award wage, I reckon at least, you know, 95% of the people I dealt with would have dived at that. Mm, yeah. For people to be sitting back saying that it would be better to keep people on some sustenance income that doesn't entail work, if that's the UBI type alternative. Mm-hmm. Well, I had people on the invalid pension. They were among my most persistent clients. And this was the invalid pension was sort of paid at the same rate as the age pension. It wasn't new start allowance. They didn't have any work test. They had no necessity to be there. Mm -hmm. It's just that work's actually very important to people to have some purpose and to be doing something that they can perceive as remunerative and constructive. I think of Australia as an early adopter when it comes to employment policy. And we can contrast that time of 1945 where Australia, even on the international stage, was pushing full employment more than other countries. We were champions of it, yeah. Then there's this other moment in the late 1980s where Australia becomes the first country to adopt activation policies in dealing with unemployed. And every time I say that word, I just shudder because I think of cattle prods prodding the unemployed They were promoted by the OECD and they were supposedly derived from the Scandinavian countries. So, you know, there was a big campaign for these activation policies. And yeah, we were early adopters, but they didn't originate with us. We were just taking on 
the active society campaign of the OECD. I usually think of Scandinavian countries as very enlightened. <laughs> they were, but you see, their activation policies were accompanied by a policy of maintaining very low levels of unemployment. Ah. And the activation policies were for the small marginal group of people that were left. The Australian approach was to put millions of people out of work and then, you know, bully them with the activity test. I see. So that's where your activation policy becomes cruel and unusual punishment because it's not in the context of um, full employment. Exactly. The job guarantee solves that great conundrum of macroeconomics, which is how do you have full employment without inflation? And I'm hearing a lot more talk about the job guarantee at the moment, especially uh, with the crisis and the COVID and how much unemployment it's created. I'm thinking that it's quite likely that Programs could bubble up that call themselves a job guarantee, but in fact, they're not really a job guarantee. Because I think about how the neoliberal agenda has rolled out some really horrible welfare so-called reforms under slogans like a hand up and not a hand out, or the best form of welfare is a job. So I could just imagine a neoliberal version of a job guarantee rearing its ugly head. And I was wondering if you would be able to give us any idea of what the red flags might be that would help us to spot what I would call a fake job guarantee. So the first thing to understand is that the job guarantee would only be intended to operate at the very margins of the labour market. And in our present situation, there is a massive need for jobs in this economy this actually requires a massive expansion of just the standard public sector. We should be restocking the public sector in all of its branches, particularly in areas where there are necessary changes that we need to make to the economy and to the social structure. Things like a massive investment in renewable energy systems, which involves things like manufacturing and maintenance and sales and distribution, all sorts of things. Um, a massive increase in things like education and training systems. We could massively expand the CSIRO. The disruption to world trade has highlighted where we have got an inadequate manufacturing capacity in this country. Nothing to do with the job guarantee, just let's expand the public sector. Aged care is screaming. Aged care and homelessness, but public housing, two areas, just, just obvious. Totally. Massive expansion of public housing. And in the aged care sector, the drive for efficiency where you've got four people looking after 90 elderly people on a night shift. I've had staff telling me about how they're bullied and told that they have to ration incontinence pads. So these workers are hiding incontinence pads so that the people that they care for don't have to lie in their waste. Mm. Now, that is that is our aged care system today. That is the modern aged care system. We don't have to be rationing incontinence pads. Uh, you know, the thing about efficiency, the idea that we run things lean and mean and that's very efficient, if it means that you're then leaving a million people idle and producing this totally inhumane, inadequately staffed system, it's not efficient. But what the point is, is that a job guarantee has to happen in the context of some decent fiscal spending and hopefully targeted towards making life better for everyone. You don't use a job guarantee to deal with all these issues. There needs to be a massive expansion of the public sector. Maybe that might leave you with a 4% unemployment level 
And it's within that little marginal area to deal with that inflationary marginal part, that's where you use a job guarantee. Some of the resistance that comes from within the unemployed community, of which I am a part, is the idea that a job guarantee is just going to be this horrendous work fair or... Be like work for the doll, yeah. So I just wondered how people can look at a proposed program that's called a job guarantee and be reassured that it was genuinely looking at providing full employment. The first thing is that a job guarantee is just a job. So it's a job that pays the federal minimum award wage. It has all the same annual leave, sick benefits, everything like that. There'd be no problem with these workers belonging to unions. The second thing is that, yes, the institutional arrangements that put this thing together are critical. One of the issues with the job guarantee model is that it needs to not be displacing other jobs. You don't want a situation where by creating this job guarantee job, it means the local council are cutting back on their garden maintenance staff because we've got these people on a job guarantee doing garden maintenance around the place. So you've got to be very careful that in the way it's designed, that it's not having those displacement effects. So the job guarantee would be operating in those micro niches in the community where the government has not actually been involved in the past and where the private sector can't make a profit out of it. So there's all this unmet need in society that the job guarantee could be employing people to be working in. So a lot of old people could be living in their homes and a job guarantee job might involve you having you know, half a dozen old people throughout the week that you just duck into their house and have a chat to them, take the rubbish out, take them shopping. You know, there might be all these sorts of things that just enable people to live in their own homes, in their own community for a sustained period of time because there's this support structure that's put into place. And, you know, there are some versions of that now and there are volunteers that do all sorts of things. All we're saying is that job guarantees, they would be the types of jobs. Now, to find those sorts of jobs and to have that sort of sensitivity to community need, the idea would be to have local community forums that are responsible for overseeing the operation of the job guarantee and recommending ideas for jobs that could be done and for grilling the professional staff that manage and run the thing. There should be all of these checks and balances in the system so that it becomes a really effective community development tool owned and controlled by the community. That's how it should be seen and developed. Top-down systems are unlikely to be effective, in my view. Mm -hmm. Over time, I think we'd get more nuanced about what constitutes purposeful work that's of benefit to the community and the environment. And there'd be a lot more ideas for things that we could be doing to make people's lives better. Mm -hmm. The federal minimum award wage is the, the bottom line. That's a specific part of the job guarantee because that's how it has a counterinflationary principle. Because if there was a lot of different wage variation within this job guarantee system, it would mean that employers in the private sector would have to be offering higher pay to bid them out of that system. So this is supposed to be a buffer stock that is like a concertina that when there's a downturn in the economy, it rapidly expands and provides people with secure employment. And then as things pick up, it doesn't offer any resistance to those people picking up jobs in the mainstream labour market, be it the private or public sector. So the minimum wage aspect is like a fixed price. 
but at an inclusive wage. Yeah, setting it at the federal minimum award wage is the only thing that distinguishes it from any other job. And in fact, it should be identical to any other job that's paid at the federal minimum award wage. Initially, there'd be impacts like all of these, you know, these stories that come out every few years that people working at 7-Elevens are all being under. All of the wage theft, yep. All the wage theft. Well, that would be neatly dealt with by the existence of a job guarantee because those people would always have a federal minimum award job sitting there that they could do as an alternative. And that would force those employers to pay the full wage to meet proper standards of employment. So two characteristics we're looking at is a fixed minimum wage. That way, you know, it's a real job guarantee. It might be federally funded, but it would be much better to be very locally, very locally administered, not even at a state level, but probably at a community level. It has to be federally funded because we're talking about such a major investment to employ thousands and thousands of people. The Commonwealth has the pockets deep enough to do that because it's the sovereign monopoly issue of its own currency. But yes, to have it controlled as much as possible at the local level, that would be the way to administer it. You've been listening to Unemployed Workers Fight Back with Anne and Kev on 3CR. And I'm Martin Watts, Professor of Economics at Newcastle University. So I want to ask you, Kevin, where do you stand on this sort of controversial issue about whether or not we should also have some kind of a basic income alongside a job guarantee? So an income for someone who's not working. Do you think there should be some kind of an income alongside a job guarantee? Oh, look, there's a few different ways of, of looking at this. And I reckon I'm a bit of a softie. <laughs> I reckon there are some hard-ass people who would say that if the government is providing employment to anybody who wants it, then you need to get off your ass and go and work because otherwise you're a slack mongrel and you're just feeding off society. There's that aspect to it. Mm -hmm. However, I reckon a program like the Job Guarantee will take a while to become implemented. So you need a bit of a carrot and a stick approach, but I was never one for, for carrying a big stick. So I think that if you have a, a reasonable buffer like an unemployment benefit at around four four fifty a week, that covers the basic cost of living. It's nowhere near as uh, harsh as Newstart, but also would then give you enough incentive to go and get yourself something on the job guarantee, which should be paying around forty-five grand a year is what we're talking. Mm -hmm. So it's a matter of incentive versus you know, looking after those who need looking after. See, I would disagree that by not having a unemployment benefit that you are effectively saying you're a lazy bastard. I don't think that's the implication. I think what it's really saying is that we've got to look at some of the macroeconomic issues around it. And I think it really is quite a conundrum. I'm not sure which way I jump on it. I can see that maybe that people who are, you know, more creatively inclined or a bit alternative or someone who wants to work outside the system, I, I think we need all of that kind of energy and I want to support it. But I'm still wary about having a income that is not connected with contributing to the community in a more structured way. And because I was thinking about this the other day, like what if I was offered 45000 a year to do a job guarantee job or I was offered $20,000 a year to do no job and what if I wanted to just do the job guarantee part-time? So why would I go and work 
and do half-time job guarantee for the same amount of money that I could get from doing nothing. <laughs> uh, that's, that's, that's a good point. This is where I think a job guarantee scheme would need to evolve because when we're talking about job guarantee work, we need to start using our imaginations. And so the whole thing about being involved in the arts, etc., the job guarantee should involve programs that provides work for musicians and artists, um, storytellers, uh, mm-hmm. surfies, so that if you had activities that involved those types of things, if you took a part-time universal job guarantee job and it paid the same as being on the dole, you, you're going to become involved in community uh, and you're going to be connecting with people and that's going to be better than sitting at home not doing that. But that's a transition that's going to take time. That is going to require a changed mindset of your population. See, I, I would still say if you have that kind of design in a job guarantee job where you're actually expanding the idea of what work is to include all those creative and questioning kind of activities, like I think even political activism could be seen as a job, then then isn't that all the more reason not to have a basic unemployment benefit? Because then people could, in fact, tailor the job guarantee to what they think is meaningful work. Yeah, it would be an evolving system. And this and this is the conundrum, isn't it? Are they just going to sit around and be lazy? Yeah, there's going to be a bit of that, you know? Mm. I think you've just got to put up with that. There's slack asses everywhere. That's just part of life. You know, there's plenty of rich people sitting around and arse doing sweet bugger all, and, <laughs> and we've got to put up with them. So what's wrong with having a few people at the other spectrum as well? <laughs> Very true. Well, yeah, it's almost a philosophical debate as well. You know, when does the right to work become an obligation to work? And as you say, as a society, we have to evolve anyway to deal with these social norms. Yes. And then the other controversial one, of course, is whether or not it should be a fixed wage or whether or not job guarantee workers can actually bargain up their wages or whether it could be a tiered wage system. My thoughts after having listened to the architect of the scheme and spoken to many people who are involved with modern monetary theory Mm -hmm. is that it should be fixed at the minimum wage because it has macroeconomic implications if it's not. Mm. If the public service was kitted out so that you had control over your energy sector, your transport sector, that was all back under state government control. Then the whole conversation about whether your job guarantee job should be a variable thing or fixed on a minimum wage becomes a lot simpler. I I wonder what would happen to a job guarantee if it was implemented without a revitalization of the public sector. The danger there is, and I think the economists and many of the activists are well aware of this, would be that you would end up undermining your public sector work. We don't want neoliberals implementing a job guarantee program because that's exactly how they use it. <laughs> no, you don't. Take a look at, say, something like superannuation, which I think was a program implemented with good intent. But then, of course, if you implement a program with good intent and you let the neoliberals at it, <laughs> they'll turn it around and twist it into something and make it work in a, in a way which is usually the opposite of, of what it was intended. Exactly. That's why I seriously think we do need to be alert as activists the whole way through, not just trying to implement a job guarantee, but actually knowing what the details are and making sure that it's doing the job that we really want it to do to pick up that last few percent of unemployed people out of a um, otherwise healthy economy. And so there's potential for that to occur within a job guarantee scheme, and I think you need to be very wary of it so they don't start using it to drive wages down again. So speaking of the news, did you see this little blip about Austria implementing a jobs guarantee pilot study? No. As far as I can tell, it's a very watered-down version of a job guarantee. 
And, and to me, that's another example where you want to know the details. So there's this town in Austria, Marianthal. Marianthal. Probably not too many people are going to complain about your mispronunciation because I don't think anybody knows <laughs> what town you're talking about. But our listener might know. And we should. Uh, our listener might have Austrian relatives who are living in Marianthal, Austria, where if they were unemployed for more than 12 months, so that's the first, because a universal job guarantee, anytime you want to walk into a job guarantee office and get a job, you should be able to do it. You don't have to be suffering unemployment for 12 months. Yeah. So that's the first thing. The other thing is it only lasts for three years. So the offer of a job only lasts for three years. And at the end of that three years, I guess they're hoping that you've got some kind of ongoing relationship with an employer. And the other thing is it's been diluted with a wage subsidy scheme. So what they're saying is they're offering a job and it can either be something that's created as part of the public service or it could be a subsidised private sector job. It doesn't sound like it's uh, ideal, however. In fact, if people Google Marienthal and unemployment, you'll find a study from the 1930s that's considered a classic in sociology which is about the effects on individuals and communities of unemployment. So there is a bit of an historical resonance with the current study. And it's being piloted by a PhD candidate from the Institute of New Economic Thinking in Oxford. They have some fairly heterodox economic views. So, yeah, step in the right direction. Which is good in, in the month that we've had with all these little small steps in the right direction for humanity. So. <laughs> you are happy to be part of humanity again, are you? <laughs> oh, just, just a little bit. Just a little little rays of sunshine here and there. You know, the weather's getting better. We're being let out again. Just yeah. into a dern one. Trump lost. Yeah, no, it's all good. Yeah, and I'm going for a big, long bike ride too, so I'm looking forward to that as well. Mm-hmm. Bashing around with a bunch of guys um, on our bikes up in the up in the high country for a week or so. That's going to be huge. It's going to kill me. Yeah, I know. You're going to crawl back. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not at all prepared for it. You won't be able to sit down for weeks afterwards. I'll really enjoy that. Uh, yeah. Uh, so we've just about run out of time here, Kevin, yet again. Again? It just seems like we just got started. Anyway, we'll be back in a couple of weeks' time, I guess. We'll see you then. Okay, catch your hand. See you later. You've been listening to Unemployed Workers Fight Back. Join us the second and fourth Friday of each and every month as part of the Sewer Show on 3CR. Listen to this show as a podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. We thank all our guests, and I thank you, Anne. And I thank you, Kevin. Oh, no, no, the pleasure was all mine. Oh, no, Kevin, the pleasure was all mine. You mean all the pleasure was yours? Kevin, I think I took all the pleasure on this one. <laughs> well, if you took all the pleasure, that means I, there's no pleasure for me at all. And I, oh. I quite enjoyed myself. So if you've got all the pleasure, then what, I had no, I had no pleasure? I think we should share the pleasure. <laughs> well, we're going to have to share the pleasure because, you know, like, I don't mind you having the pleasure, that's great. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.